Welcome back to the Naked Truth. Peace to you. We are in the book of Deuteronomy, the fifth book in the Bible, and we've made it to chapter 31. So let's begin with verse 1 if you want to read along with me. We, um, let's see, then Moses went and spoke these words to all Israel. So it's gone from Moses saying, I said this, and the Lord told me that. That sort of conversation, first person to, it seems like more of a report, a reporter giving the story or the narrating what happened. And it's Moses, the same Ten Commandments, Moses, speaking to, it says all Israel. It's not talking about the current country known as Israel. It's talking about the people known as Israel. Same roots, um, but subtle difference. Verse 2, and he said to them, I'm... 120 years old today he's saying he can no longer go out and come in also the Lord has said to me you shall not cross over this Jordan so Moses is letting them know that he's up there in age now although according to the Bible 120 isn't all that old uh, uh, if you compare it to some of the other people in the Bible preceding Moses but He's at that age now, and I'm pretty sure I remember um, it saying at some point that he's he, he his, he's just as healthy and spry as he was when he was first took on the mission of uh, taking the people through the wilderness and re- and eman- their emancipation journey. But I think that comes just before the end of this book in the Bible. But I could be wrong. So anyway, it's saying, Moses is basically addressing the people, saying he's up there in age, he's gotten old, and he's been barred, forbidden for, from entering the promised land, which is what they're all on the on the uh, cusp of. They're about ready to cross over the river Jordan and enter the promised land, as they call it. It's actually a land that's already occupied. You know, people already live there. They're going in to massacre the people who live there and then colonize it. Verse 3, the Lord your God himself crosses over before you. He will destroy those these nations from before you, and you shall dispossess them. Joshua himself crosses over before you, just as the Lord has said. So um, that's sort of a mixed message there. It, they're being told the Lord is going to go over with them and um, sort of clear out the people before them. Yet we already read the people have been uh, divided up into armies and told to go in and massacre the people who live there and let no one live except for attractive women they may want to take as captives and rape then uh, they are allowed to survive otherwise everyone else is supposed to die men women and children and i'm not making it up we read it just a few chapters ago um but so that's kind of a mixed message if the lord's doing the clearing out why do they need an army and why do the people have to be told to go in and massacre people if it's the Lord going to clear the way. Verse 4, And the Lord will do to them as he did to Sihon and Og, the kings of the Amorites, in their land when he destroyed them. Well, uh, that's a, again, that's sort of revisionist history. I don't remember it saying that the Lord destroyed the people. I thought it said that the armies went in and fought with them and killed them. And I'm pretty sure that's what it's going to say when it, with each of the battles that keep coming up. It's not like suddenly... A uh, bolt of lightning came from heaven and just wiped everyone out that they were fighting against. Um, but here it's saying that the Lord did, did the clearing out, did the killing, did the massacring. Verse 5, the Lord will, and one other thing about that, I'm not sure why the Lord didn't do that to clear them out if that's what's really being 
um, what they've really been ordered to do since we have seen or read previous accounts of the Lord doing exactly that, massacring the congregation, the children of Israel, when they got sassy for saying the wrong thing or doing the wrong thing, masses and masses of them. Um, and yet the people are being told that they have to go out and do the battle and do the fighting, but it's the Lord who's going to be fighting for them. So I guess maybe it's a team. Verse 5, the Lord will give them over to you that you may do to them according to every commandment which I have commanded you. So those commandments include uh, to go in and massacre the people, men, women, and children, like I said, except for the attractive women they want to take captive and have, and rape. Um, and also, um, that sort of contradicts the other commandment that thou shalt not kill, uh, thou shalt not steal, steal, and to love your neighbor as yourself, and um, you shall shall not covet your neighbor's anything. So all of that, all of those commandments are being broken by the same people who have been commanded to keep them. So it just makes no sense. Verse 6, be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, he's the one who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. So again, they're being told it's the Lord going with them, fighting for them, yet they're the ones who've been given the commands to actually do the bloodshed. And Lord here is still being translated from the name Jehovah. And and um, God is from the word Elohim um, in this chapter. But again, we've read again and again where that changes. That's not consistent either. Any more than the commandments seem to be. Uh, the Ten Commandments indeed are consistent throughout the Bible. These other commandments, the war commandments and the rape commandments and the, all these other ones, the ordinances and statutes, as they're called, are not consistent at all. They seem to keep changing again and again. And modern religion seems to ignore all of that and just cherry pick what it wants to focus on. Um, verse 7, Then Moses called Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, Be strong and of good courage, for you must go with this people to the land which the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall cause them to inherit it. So um, Joshua is going to be the new leader of the army, the of the commander. He's going to basically take Moses' place as the leader of the people, getting messages from the Lord as to what their marching orders should be and which way they should go. Verse 8, and Joshua, by the way, Joshua is one of only two people of the common people, the rest of the people of the congregation who uh, were sent to spy out the promised land and came back and again Joshua and Caleb is the name of the other person are the only two who um, escaped the death sentence that the rest of the people got all of the rest of the spies and that whole generation of people were sentenced to die by the Lord and I'm just going to say Lord because that's how it reads um, for those 40 years in the wilderness. Only Joshua and Caleb survived that. And not only that, Moses, again, got barred and forbidden from in, um, entering the promised land for all the work he did and for his, even for his role that he's gone down in history with. He didn't even get to go to the promised land. Um, verse 8, And the Lord, he is the one who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear nor be dismayed. So they're being reassured that God's working with them and the Lord is on their side. Don't be afraid. 
Verse 9, so Moses wrote this law and delivered it to the priests, the sons of Levi, who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, and to all the elders of Israel. So that Ark of the Covenant is a religious relic um, that they the people set up um, as part of their worship ceremonies. And also, it would seem as a weapon when they would go out to battle and to war, but also as a sort of communication device between the people and the Lord. That's what the Ark is, but it had, according to the Bible, uh, the Ten Commandment tablets in it. So um, those stone tablets with the Ten Commandments on them. And also, I think it said a jar of of uh, manna, which is what the people, the common people, were um, fed for the 40 years while they were in the desert. The leaders got to eat meat, barbecue, and so forth. The common people got to eat that manna. Bread um, basically was their diet the whole time they were wandering through the wilderness. Other than the times when the elites, the religious leaders, shared the burnt offerings, as they're called, with the people. And they're called burnt offerings, but again, that doesn't mean they were burnt to a crisp. It's the equivalent of barbecue in modern times. Verse 9, so Moses, oh, so that was, Moses wrote the words, uh, wrote the law, is what it's saying here, and gave them to the religious authorities. That's who the Levites, the sons of Levi, are. Verse 10, and Moses commanded them, saying, at the end of every seven years, at the appointed time in the year of release, at the Feast of Tabernacles, so Moses is setting up um, not so much a holiday, but a ritual for them, um, for the people to follow once they make it over into the promised land that they're to do every seven years. And it's going to describe it now. Um, verse 11, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God in the place which he chooses, you shall read this law before all Israel in their hearing. So that's what they're to do every seven years. Make sure they keep reading, keep the law alive by reading it to the people. And, um, the law, I'm not sure whether which one it's being referred to, if, if it's talking about the Ten Commandments or if it's talking about Ten Commandments plus all those statutes and ordinances. So maybe it'll clarify. Um, the year of release is the um, year. It seems to be different from the year, the Jubilee year. That's every 49 years, basically, where the people basically get a reset for all sorts of debts that they may owe to each other they get a reset and everyone gets to start fresh the year of release um the seven years if i recall it's similar to that um but sort of on a smaller scale if i recall i so know it's kind of fuzzy let's keep reading verse 11 when all israel comes to appear before the lord god lord your god in the place which he chooses you shall read this law for all Israel in their hearing. So every seven years, everyone's to pay attention and hear the law being read to them again. And uh, most of the people were illiterate um, throughout much of the Bible, but absolutely um, through the Old Testament and um, and even up until the time of Jesus' ministry. Um, usually it's just the elites, the religious elites in the case of the uh, congregation who have been taught and learned to read. Most of the other people are, you know, illiterate. They can't read. Um, and I think part of that is also 
intentional and um, so that they will have to lean on what other people tell them the law says and what the um, law or what they're supposed to abide by and adhere to keep the people ignorant the same way that you keep um, that people are fighting what they call CRT although it's really just American history actual true American history um, if you keep people ignorant of the facts then you get to keep telling them what the truth is rather than just make the information available for anyone to see it and then people can see for themselves what the truth is but even when people can see for themselves what the truth is people often still choose a lie just like people still choose to believe that Adam and Eve were the first people on earth and that it was an, an apple that Eve gave to Adam and that that's was was the beginning of the downfall of what happened in the Garden of Eden. None of that is according to the Bible, yet you could find nine out of ten churches, maybe even more than that, will tell you, oh yeah, that's exactly right. Adam and Eve were the first people. That's not according to the Bible. Genesis chapter 1 says there were people created right there before Adam was even created. And then once Edom, Eve does come along in chapter 2, Adam and Eve come along in chapter 2, there's no mention of an apple. Yet again, religion will mislead people and intentionally keep people in the dark so that you can keep looking to them for the answers rather than just look to the answer look for the answer yourself. But like I said, it's right there in the Bible. In modern times people can read it if they want to and still choose a lie instead. And that's exactly what Jesus says um about the truth and how people will uh, they'll choose a lie. They'll uh, they'll reject the truth and choose a lie instead, and then feel righteous and justified in doing so. Verse eleven: When all Israel, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God in the place which He chooses, you shall read this law before all Israel in their hearing. So, um, the place of the choosing is basically looking forward to when the tabernacle and the uh, well currently they're have, they're dealing with the they they have the tabernacle as their place of worship and the tabernacle meeting as it's called it's basically just a tent um where the people go to seek closeness to god and the divine and um usually it's only the elite the religious people moses most specifically who can even um go into it and others can approach it and go near the doors of it. But eventually a temple is established. Um, and then that's the place of worship. So that's sort of what's being alluded to here. Um, but uh, it seems to me that maybe that's also more um, revisionist history. It's someone who's at a later time looked back on the narrative and added things to it because why would what reason would Moses have to believe that the tabernacle meeting the tent wouldn't last forever that since God is showing up there for him why would that ever disappear why would there be a need for some other place um like a temple so it seems to me unless it's a prophecy then um someone at a later date once the temple was um established went back and maybe added some of this stuff about um wherever the lord makes his name abide and all of that why wouldn't it just be the tabernacle meeting still but whatever the case may be the people are being told once that holy place church as we'd call it as christians temple mosque synagogue at what other religions call it their holy place once it's established that that's where the law is supposed to be read those every seven years to the congregation 
Verse 12, gather the people together, men and women and little ones, and the stranger who is within your gates, that they may hear and that they may learn to fear the Lord your God and carefully observe all the words of this law. So everyone is to be gathered together that, um, with no respect to just the men. It's not patriarchy there. Everyone is supposed to gather together to hear it. And I think that's also partly so that, not only so that everyone will know um, what the message is, um, but also so that everyone will know that they're all under the obligation to follow the um, edicts being put out, the law that's being dictated to them. Verse 13, and their children who have not known it may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land which you cross the Jordan to possess. So it's saying as long as the um, nation, the actual country, is established and um, that those those laws are to be adhered to. And I'm pretty sure only a tiny amount. I couldn't know, don't, wouldn't know specifically what that number is. But even there in the nation, the country um, that is called Israel or Palestine, I'm sure even among the people there, it's a tiny percentage of people who still um, live by these different rules and things or um, even believe in them. But many people will still just trace their lineage back, their um, blood back to um, these same um, congregation. So then they feel that loyalty and that bond to the place and the people, even if they aren't um, religiously of the same people, if that makes sense. Um, verse 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, the days approach when you must die. Call Joshua the present and present yourselves in the tabernacle meeting that I may inaugurate him. So Moses and Joshua went and presented themselves in the tabernacle meeting. So Moses is one of the few people who gets a message directly from God that uh, his time's up and um, to make set his house in order because uh, his number's about to be called. Verse 15, Now the Lord appeared at the tabernacle in a pillar of cloud, and the pillar of cloud stood above the door of the tabernacle. So if you've read with me before, then you know that um, these verses contradict what other parts of the Bible say, that no one's seen God at any time, no one's seen his, seen his form or heard his voice, and yet you see, um, it sounds like a fly, unidentified flying object hovers over the tabernacle meeting in the appearance of a cloud when it's daytime and an appearance of fire, a pillar of fire, when it's nighttime, and then that's how the people are um, signify it signifies to the people that the Lord is showing up there uh, in their presence for um, Moses to communicate with him or with the Lord I should say um, now verse 15 now the Lord appeared at the tabernacle in a oh we read that sorry or did we uh, yeah we did so verse 16 and the Lord said to Moses behold you will rest with your fathers and his people Arise and play the harlot with the gods of the foreigners of the land where they go to be among them. And they will forsake me and break my covenant, which I've made with them. So, um, if again, so this, if, if you're to believe how it's written, it's a contemporary, con, contem, contemporaneous, excuse me, um, telling of what happened. It's Moses saying 
now in the first person sense oh then the lord showed up and gave me this message and this is what was said um but so it turns out so this part would be considered prophecy letting moses know that after he's gone the people aren't going to stay faithful to the different commandments that he's giving them or the covenant that they've um been put under the contract of the agreement of the covenant that they've all been put under he's letting them know they're not going to be faithful to that even though they're being told to read it to them every seven years um that they're not going to be faithful to it as soon as moses is gone basically they're going to turn aside from it verse 17 then my anger shall be aroused against them in that day and i will forsake them and i'll hide my face from them and they shall be devoured and many evils and troubles shall befall them so that they will say in that day have not these evils upon okay so if you've read with me before read and you're a christian consider matthew chapter 12 verse 37 what it says about for by your words you'll be justified and by your words you'll be condemned consider that and then read chapter 17 to yourself i suggest uh silently but if you don't care um then go ahead and read it out loud and then um and then you'll under and then you'll it'll make sense to you why i didn't finish reading that verse as it's written because as it, it's written if you read it out loud as it's written you may manifest that for yourself that evil will fall upon you and the lord won't be among you um, because that's what it says that that's what's going to happen to the people for their unfaithfulness the lord's not going to be on their side anymore and instead evil and wickedness is gonna fall upon them as a repayment for their unfaithfulness and in if you read it as it's written like i said you may manifest that for yourself that's the only reason i didn't read it out loud even though i clearly can read it uh, to myself so anyway um they're being told that they're gonna fall away from being faithful and the lord is not going to be on their side anymore so in hearing that I don't know how are the people are supposed to feel about that that's like you getting married to someone and they're saying they're going to be faithful to you forever and then at the same time after you make the vow and get married they tell you okay now I'm letting you know there's going to come a time where I'm going to forsake you I'm not going to be on your side anymore you're going to hold around and I'm going to leave you and when it says play the harlot it doesn't necessarily mean um prostitution at all it's talking about play the harlot as being unfaithful to the religion in in plain english it means they are they're gonna um they're gonna fall into other religions they're gonna be persuaded by other religions or fall away from the religion they're being taught here every seven years having it uh repeated to them again and again they're not going to stay faithful to that instead they're going to hold around and um with religion with other religions and fall away from this one so like i said who i don't know would that encourage someone to stay faithful to the bond to the covenant if you're telling them before you even get there that you're not going to stay with them through it that because of something they do in the future which you can foretell and see is going to happen that um the whole thing's going to fall apart that the lord's not going to be on your side anymore is it any wonder that people wanted to turn back and go back to egypt then or uh, even if not that cause who why would things have to be pretty bad to want to return to being a slave um I, it would seem to me why wouldn't the people just say well you know what let's just go somewhere else 
uh, Syria is around. Why not just go to Syria? There's other people around, the Hittites and all these other ites that we've read about. Why wouldn't the people just say, you know what? If it's going to turn out like that, then maybe we will just go ahead and join these other people, find some other religion or give religion up altogether, become atheists or something. Um, it seems to me that's that would seem to be the natural reaction. If you're being told you're going to be forsaken and cast off and evil is going to befall you, then I guess then you it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy then. Because once you hear that, if you do decide to say, well, this isn't for me, I'm just going to go on something else. Then in that sense, then you're fulfilling the prophecy. You're um, you're choosing some other religion or falling away from the covenant. And in that sense, fulfilling it and going to bring or going to force evil upon yourself um, as retribution for falling away from it. Um, I don't know. Verse 18. And I will surely hide my face in that day because of all the evil which they've done in that they have turned turn to other gods so it's considered evil to pick up some other religion and the payment the for doing that the price they have to pay for doing that is all that evil falling upon them verse 19 now therefore write down this song for yourselves and teach it to the children of israel put it in their mouths that this song may be a witness for me against the children of israel so now the people are being told to um, learn a new song that's going to remind them that they're going to be unfaithful. The Lord's already foretold it, and they're going to have to pay a hefty price for it. I mean, who'd want to sing that song? I guess that it's sing the song so that they'll remember and won't forget. Um, but I don't know. Verse 20, when I brought them to the land flowing with milk and honey, of which I swore to their fathers... And they've eaten and filled themselves and grown fat. Then they will turn to other gods and serve them. And they will provoke me and break my covenant. So again, it's already being foretold to the people that they're going to be led to that promised land. It is going to be prosperous. That's what the land flowing with milk and honey is referring to. And so they're going to be happy at first. They're going to eat, get fat full, and then eventually forsake the one who got them there the deity the entity or as it says the lord who um brought them to that point and in in forsaking the lord that's going to incur wrath for them verse 21 then it shall be when many evils and troubles have upon you that um, uh, upon them that this song will testify against them as a witness for it will not be forgotten in the mouths of their descendants for I know the inclination of their behavior today, even before I brought them to the land of which I swore to give them. So uh, Moses is being told to tell the people that they're not going to remain faithful to these different commandments, to the covenant that they're making. But they're being told to make the covenant anyway. And they're being told that even though they're making the covenant, it's already known beforehand that path is already foreseen, that they're not going to be faithful to it. They're going to fall away from it. And for falling away from it, evil is going to hunt them down and get them. I, I, I don't know. Would you enter a marriage like that if you know that, oh, we're going to get into this covenant, but that's what's going to happen down the line? I can't imagine somebody would still go ahead and do it unless I guess people would still do it because even now the odds of divorce are better than 50% and people still choose to get married and roll the dice. So I guess some people would still do it. 
even knowing that it's going to end, uh, crash and burn, some people would still go ahead and do it to just try to beat the odds, I guess. Verse 22, therefore Moses wrote this song the same day and taught it to the children of Israel. So Moses is still being obedient and faithful, even though he's um, probably above all the rest of them, got the most reason to turn away from it since he's put in all that work for 40 years. Um, even all the abuses he dealt with or the issues he dealt with in, uh, when they were in Egypt, he's put up, put, went through all of that faithfully, even the loss of his sister and brother, who according to the narrative turned out to be kind of racist. If, if the, um, uh, the way the narrative reads is right. Uh, he's dealt with all of that. And then even after all that, because he, um, it seems to me he got baited into doing the wrong thing. Now he can't even enter the promised land that he's worked those 40 years to get everyone else to. It just, it, 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 it seems like Moses would have a whole lot of reasons to go ahead and give up or at least turn his back on all of the, what's going on. Um, but he didn't. He stayed faithful. Verse 23, then he inaugurated Joshua, the son of Nun, and said, be strong and of good courage. For you shall bring the children of Israel into the land of which I swore to them, and I will be with you. So he's when he says he'll be with them, first he's saying Joshua is the one who's going to be the new leader, and Moses is telling him he'll be with them. But Moses already also told him he's not going to be able to be with them once they cross over that river. Excuse me. So I'm not sure where he's saying he's going to be with them, since they're already at the doors of the at the at the at the river that they got to cross over, and then they're into the promised land. So I'm not sure what he means. He'll be with them, but he's saying he'll be with them. Um, let's see, verse 24. So it was when Moses had completed writing the words to this law in a book when they were finished. So now Moses, it's saying Moses wrote all the words down of the law in a book. Um, I'm really not sure how they did that. Um, maybe they used papyrus like the Egyptians were using back then. So when it says book, it may mean, it may be translated, it may be being translated from something like scroll or something to say, basically that he wrote it down. Um, but one other thing is the law, those Ten Commandments are written in stone according to the story by the finger of God. So, again, if God's able to do supernatural, miraculous things like that, why wouldn't the Lord also just write all those things down also on stone, which would actually make it super easy to believe that the divine did it, since who would be able to write on stone all these different statues and ordinances on stone, small enough that can be carried around in that covenant, in that um, Ark of the Covenant, other than God Almighty. People wouldn't be able to do that because it's not cuneiform where it's soft clay that's engraved and then hardened, it says stone. So even if you chisel into stone, you'd have to be pretty precise to be able to chisel all these words in the stone, unless you're God Almighty. And since it's God Almighty who was given credit for making the Ten Commandments, why wouldn't the Lord have just also put all of those things on the stone so people would really believe for sure, okay, God had to have done that because people couldn't do it. Especially back then, you may be able to use some sort of engraving tool now because you can do that and engrave 
uh, even tiny things on stuff. But someone wouldn't be able to engrave all these different words and commandments on stone unless something divine was happening, I would think. Um, But it's um, hard read, so let's keep reading. Verse 24, so it was, and Moses... Oh, um, so Moses completed the writings, verse 25, that Moses commanded the Levites who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, saying, so again, the Levites are the religious branch of the congregation, and they have those certain duties, and one of the duties is to carry that Ark of the Covenant, what we were just talking about. The same Ark um, that's referred to in the movie series, uh, and the Raiders of the Lark Lost Ark, in the in, in, in Excuse me. In the Indiana Jones movie series, in the Liberators of the Lost Ark um, version, um, um, it's not really a version. That one, in that one of those films, um, that's what's being referred to as the Ark of the Covenant. That's being sought after. This same Ark of the Covenant, verse twenty-six. Take this book of the law and put it in beside the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God. That it may be there as a witness against you. So um, the peop- uh, Moses is letting the people know that they're going to be unfaithful to the commandments and to the covenants. But Moses is telling the Levites, the religious authorities, to keep a copy of the book next to the Ark of the, Tab- of Ark of the Covenant. So that um, people will be able to look back on it and realize that it was all foretold and um, before they even did it. Verse 27, for I know your rebellion and your stiff neck. If today, while I'm yet alive with you, you've been rebellious against the Lord. And how much more after his death is what he's saying. So he's saying, if they're that hard-headed and um, obstinate with following the rules that he's giving them, with the orders he's giving them, with the commandments that have been given again and again and again to this point, with Moses alive and well with them and the Lord working all those different signs and wonders for them and they're still hard-headed and unfaithful, then he's saying he knows once he's dead they're going to just be utterly corrupt. Um, verse 28, Gather to me all the elders of your tribes and your officers that I may speak these words in their hearing and call heaven and earth to witness against them. So Moses is saying, Gather everyone together so that no one misses the message that they're um that they've been given these orders, these commandments, and also already um given the news that they're not going to be faithful to it, that they're going to be unfaithful and fall away from it, and set up that um the the book of the law as a testimony against them, so that when it happens, they can reflect reflect back on it and see. Um, and again, that could be a prophecy. Or it could be someone who uh, saw the different things that happened that led up to the exiles and the captivities that they went through. And just like in the uh, with the flood narrative, may have gone back and added some things here and there to it, as people like to do. Verse 29, for I know that after death you will become utterly corrupt and turn aside from the way which I've commanded you. And evil will befall you in the latter days, because you will do evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger through the works 
work of your hands. So again, Moses is letting them know, even though I'm laying out these different orders for your commandments and such, I know you're not going to be faithful to them. And I know that you're going to actually become utterly corrupt in falling away from once you make it to that promised land. Once you find contentment and happiness, or as Jesus says, um, uh, uh, pleasures of this life, then you may actually fall away from faithfulness because you've gotten your consolation here. Woe to the rich, for they've received their consolation. Um, as one of the Beatitudes says, I'm paraphrasing. Um, so anyway, that's um, Moses warning the people what their actions are going to be, predicting it, prophesying it, foretelling it before it even happens. Verse 30, And Moses spoke in the hearing of all the assembly of Israel the words of this song until they were ended. So now if you can tell by the header there that it's talking about the song of Moses, that's the, it says that the people are going to remember it uh, forever. Um, and I imagine some some sects of this religion or, you know, surviving sects of this religion probably do know that song of Moses by heart and maybe even recite it or repeat it every seven years or more frequently than that. But for the most part, uh, no churches do, even though they are supposedly based on what's happened in the Old Testament while embracing the New. Um, usually, they're not doing either. You know they're not doing this reading the law every seven years. Uh, you know that because as Christian churches, they aren't even following what Jesus says to do uh, for what Christians should be doing. And I say that generally speaking, obviously not an, as an absolute. Um Anyway, that was verse 30, so that's the end of this chapter and where we'll end this reading. I appreciate you reading along with me as always and hope you'll join me again. Stay safe, I love you, and God bless you. I'll see you next time. Peace be with you.